Hey, I'm Jeanette Bordeaux, and you're listening to the Broken to Breakthrough podcast, where we highlight stories from people who have overcome mental and emotional struggles. My mission is to empower others to challenge the unfair stigma surrounding these important topics. Here's today's episode. Hello, Krista. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Jeanette. I'm very excited to be here today. Me too. I cannot wait to deep dive into our conversation. But first, (laughs) I just want to share with everyone who's listening um, a little bit more about you and how we actually met. So I know that we had our first podcast interview on your amazing podcast um, called I Am Awake, Now What?, which I love, which is all about, (laughs) (laughs) which is all about um, interviewing different people about their journeys on their awakening and their own own journey on spiritual enlightenment. And so Mm -hmm. I love, love everything about your podcast. And our conversation was so organic and wonderful and just so deep. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to have you on the podcast. (laughs) So I'm so like, again, I'll say it again. I'm so excited that you're here. So we can deep dive. But first I want to, um, yeah, tell me a little bit about I'm Awake Now. What like what inspired you to start the podcast? So what inspired me to start I'm Awake Now What was when I, I left my religion of origin, as I like to say it, which was Catholicism. Mm-hmm. And when I decided to leave, I felt very disoriented and lost because you're built in in most Christian communities with a lot of structure and a lot of organization and a lot of tools for you to sort of navigate your own relationship with God. But then I decided I needed to decide what made sense to me. And and I wanted to explore other religions. I didn't know where to go. I didn't have a lot of support at that time. I, I was definitely sort of the black sheep of my family at that time. Um, Since then we've reconciled and everything is good, but Um, the podcast, the intention of the podcast is to help anyone who's in that beginning or middle place and just Mm -hmm. kind of wondering how they're going to figure out what's right for them. And I'm bringing to the podcast people from all walks of life, from all different backgrounds who have either left their religion of origin or have never had religion and now are practicing something to tell their stories, to basically create this like online audio community for people to understand their own awakening and outside of the confines of like structured religion which has a lot of great things but if you go a different route there's not so much of structure and so you've got to find your your set of people and you've got to find community that understands you and and that's the purpose of of my podcast is helping people navigate their own journey and have resources and people to be like oh, okay that person did it that way I can do this too. Yes, that's amazing. And I love that, you know, I think it's so important when we hear other people's journeys. And that's like a huge thing in my podcast also is that you can hear other people who have kind of been through something similar. So you can say, oh, like, this is how, you know, they coped with it, or this is what they did, or just get inspiration and, you know, have Mm -hmm. some sort of guidance. Yeah, because sometimes when you're in any journey, it doesn't have to be spiritual or not. And I know you and I talked about it on our podcast journey of like depression and stuff. Like sometimes you just feel so alone and you don't know who you can talk to without judgment, you know, Mm -hmm. and that having, like you said, having somebody to empathize and share or even just as a reference point in your experience, you're just like your human experience is so vital for us to stay healthy. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And that was like a big thing for me because actually it's kind of like, it was like, I've always um, like believed in God and had a Christian faith, but even mm-hmm. transitioning my life into um, people who were Christians, but weren't re- living off like religion, they were living mm-hmm. off of like faith and like belief in God and even finding like, so it was interesting, like I, I had my own sort of transition in that also where it was like, oh, I just need to find people who are like, in with the Holy Spirit and like, faith and all that stuff so I totally get like you know having in finding people who would like support that can like in that community so Mm -hmm. I totally understand that and that's a totally different topic which we will save for another (laughs) podcast Um, (laughs) but no I just think the the work that you're doing and sharing people's journeys is so important so just wanted to highlight the podcast and definitely talk more about it yeah thank you so much Yeah, for sure. And one thing that we really clicked on, obviously, um, during our podcast interview on your show was the mental health and emotional health Mm -hmm. and how, you know, all the stigma around it and how it affects people. And then we got, Mm -hmm. we talked more about suicide and then suicide prevention more in like our offline conversation. And you shared with me something, you know, very personal about how you experienced and, um, the impact of suicide in your own life. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about that now. Yeah, thank you so much. So I, I want to preface the story in that I was adopted when I was the at the age of five years old. And mm-hmm. I am from a biological family that there were eight of us, so including me. Mm-hmm. And we it was the 80s, so we had like a closed adoption. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so for 12 years, I didn't have any contact with my other um, six siblings. I was adopted with one of my biological siblings. And then when I became an adult, we were able to like reintegrate with them, which was great because we got to be in their lives and stuff. So my youngest biological brother, Miguel, who he's about, he's was six years younger than I was. Um, When I met him, he was in middle school and he was just this chubby little round a boisterous boy and it was just so great getting to know him mm-hmm. um but as we grew up and we all became adults he he um started to struggle with his own mental illness mm-hmm. and he also went into the military um at some point in his young adulthood i think into like his early 20s mm-hmm. and he had two tours one in afghanistan i think and one in iraq um and he kind of never came back the same person after the second tour. Mm -hmm. And by that time he was sort of getting into his late twenties and um, sort of starting to struggle with this question that you, you get as you get older, like what is the purpose of my life? And like, what am I doing here? And where is all the meaning in my life? And he really struggled with understanding why when we were young, we were given up for adoption and our biological mother Um, she had schizophrenia. So, you know, mental illness is something that is, is, you know, in our DNA, you know, I I don't have any mental illness, a diagnosis myself, but I do have another brother that's bipolar as well. And so Mm -hmm. it was kind of like, I think he, even though he understood she was mentally ill, there was some, something in him that had wished that she could still have raised him. Like there was this longing between him and her that he could never quite reconcile. And so when he came back from his tours and overseas and stuff, and 
he just wasn't doing really well, you know, and he was kind of vacillating between like drugs and alcohol and, and depression. And he threatened multiple times that he was going to commit suicide. But of course, like you just, you hear the person out, you know, and, and you really just try to be there for them and you, but you never think it's going to happen. Right. Like that's kind of, I think that's ultimately the most shocking thing to have to endure is like when they go through with it. And so when he was in his early 30s, um, he kind of went radio silent with my family for a couple of weeks. And then we got a call from his apartment complex that he was living in that he had committed suicide. And, you know, I that really broke our family or my biological family very deeply because we had already been we'd already spent most of the our adult life trying to like reintegrate with each other we'd had lost all this time you know we'd lost all this time of like not being with each other and then we lost Miguel like soon after that and that was really painful to experience it was really painful to absorb that experience and then to understand like we knew he was depressed we knew he was struggling with drugs and alcohol and we knew that he was always reaching out and we were staying up with him late at late at night and all of those things. And he still couldn't bring himself to exist here on earth. And that was really painful um, to endure. And then as if that wasn't enough, um, about a year and a half later, my nephew, um, my biological brother's son, who was 16, took his life as well. And those two suicides back to back, like literally I've never seen my family so more emotionally broken that it's like something I would never wish on like my worst enemy to ever have to experience that because even though Miguel we knew he was struggling Jaren we didn't know what was going on with him and it was so unexpected and also I think for I can only speak from my experience in it is that when Jaren committed suicide I was really I was like confused by he just watched us go through this last year Mm. and it ripped it ripped our family emotionally into shreds losing Miguel Mm. you know and we all blamed ourselves you do and I think a lot of people do that in suicide we blame ourselves and we think you know we haven't done enough I know I have those feelings too a lot of the time like I just didn't feel like I was there enough for him and all of the, you just, all that regret you're sort of living with. Mm -hmm. Right. And then Jaron passed, passed away so young, so unexpected. He was a good student. He was a happy kid. And it was like, it was like the air was just completely sucked out of our family and we're still struggling with it. All of us in our own way, his mom is struggling, my brother's struggling, my niece, who I'm very close to, which is his sister, we're all sort of trying to put our life back together, like every single day between both of these deaths and try to make sense of like, what does it all mean, you know, and how do we live in a world where, like, we don't want any of us to get any more depressed from the loss of them, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, that's kind of where we're at in this moment is like, trying to move through the depression of losing them so quickly back to back by the same modality and find a way through the grief and the depression. And that's a really hard place to be. And I know anyone who's experienced suicide is, is knows a little bit of what I'm speaking about. 
Wow. Well, yeah. first of all, thank you so much for, you know, coming on and talking about this because I, I know that this cannot be easy and especially like bringing up and talking about the past. So I just really want to thank you because I know yeah. that, you know, you by sharing your experience, like you, like people are going to listen to this and you're going to help so many people. So I can just seriously not thank you enough. And I appreciate that so much. For sure. And so one thing you touched on um, that was the blame that came up for you and like your family and like feeling like, you know, Oh, I wish we could have done more. And that's so hard to feel in these situations because you know, every it's, we only get from people what they give us on the outside. Absolutely. Yeah. The year before Miguel passed away, we spent almost every weekend together. He was forced to be sober um, because he had had like a DUI and in Texas, there is the rule of, um, it's like three strikes and you're out. And so he really, this was like his second one. And they were like, you, you have to do probation and do a breathalyzer for a year. And it was like the clearest he's ever been, um, as he started in his struggles. Mm -hmm. And I loved having that time together. But then when he committed suicide, that was when I was like, I didn't do enough to, hold his hand through those moments. He used to have, we used to have really deep conversations about his life and like the pain he felt from not being able to be like, you know, connected to our biological mother and how come we all are living these disjointed lives because we didn't grow up with each other and we're like a family, but we're not a family because we're sort of like scattered to the four winds. And, mm. and there was just this immense, weight that I had on me thinking like I didn't say the right things and I read all the time and mm -hmm. I I gave him a bunch of books like The Power of Now and yeah. like you know all of the books that helped me wake up and helped me become the person that I am today and those sort of just fell deaf on him at that time he didn't need that at that time what he needed was you know, someone just to be more emotionally available to him. And I, I sense that, that I wasn't that, that I was as, as a, somebody who struggles as a fixer, you know, mm -hmm. I was trying to fix it instead of like sit with it. And that's something that a lesson I have been trying to integrate into my life. Whenever somebody comes to me, I think you and I talked about this too, on our podcast interview, mm -hmm. I'm trying to step back and not fix and listen and sit and be with that person's grief and be with that person's pain instead of trying to like, say like, this is what you should do. Mm -hmm. It's a big regret that I have about our time because I think I left, I left a lot of things unsaid that I can't ever go back and change in this point in time, you know? And, and I say that with as much self-compassion for myself mm -hmm. as I'm not beating myself up. It's just, if, if anyone could have a, the opportunity to do anything differently, I'm sure we all would. Right. But mm -hmm. yeah, it was very heavy. Yeah. I can only imagine, especially being so close and seeing that and really understanding like the pain he was feeling. And yeah, yeah I, the, as far as like what you could do differently in the fixing. Yeah. Like we touched on our podcast. It's, it's, it's so easy for us to just want to be like, cause we care so much about the person that we're just like, mm -hmm. I just want to like fix this thing. If you, we, if you could see it this way, but it's so in depression, like what I went through 
you know, no one could, you could have told me anything, right? And Mm -hmm. I, you know, there's no way anything that somebody said would change, like, what I was like experiencing in my perception of things. So I know it's, it's definitely like, oh, I want to fix. But yeah, it's like, at the end of the day, what helped me the most when I was going through depression and suicidal thoughts was going to a therapist. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just letting them like let me talk and cry and be there like for me emotionally but that's a lot to ask of someone you know what I mean like you know being like you know okay um hey it's like they may need that emotional support but at the same time like that's a big you know weight on someone else and that's that's definitely tough because you're like I love this person so much but can, can I really like you know this capacity of that they like the, the need that they have could I really like fulfill that and that's a huge 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 ask which I feel that a lot of people have gone through suicide you know have uh, had the impact of suicide in their life they kind of feel that way they're like I could have done this I could have done that but I think about it and it's such a huge ask like it's it's mm-hmm. really I don't think that anyone can truly do that while also you know, taking care of their mental and emotional health. Yeah, I think those are very good points. And I know having gone through it twice is that, you know, Jaren's was unexpected. McGill's, Mm -hmm. he made so many threats that he was going to do it is that, you know, the, the, the thing that kept coming to my mind was like, I can't make you stay, but I want to make you stay. And there is like, I don't Mm -hmm. know what, if we'll ever as a culture find a way to convince someone that like life is so temporary that no matter the depths of your own depression and your own sadness that it will you will overcome it every single day and every single minute if you have to and I've definitely had my share of depression and that if if we can find a a more articulate, more tangible way to extend to somebody like, and really get to them, somebody who's dealing with, with suicide, like I, you need to stay here because I promise you it's going to get better no matter what you're facing in this moment. Like it will, our goods always outweigh our bads. And, and I don't know how we get to that point. Um, And if some people are so depressed, you know, they, they don't they've lost their will to self-preserve and so the only option they feel they have is to end their life and that's really sad yeah yeah it's definitely it's definitely tough like I can really only speak to like my own experience of like depression and for me when I would think about you know suicide and all that stuff it was really from it wasn't from a place of consciousness it was a place of Mm -hmm. like I'd been suppressing emotions and for so long that, you know, all the pain was so extreme that it was like clouding everything. Like it was just so extreme that I was facing the pain. So I think um, one thing, I think the biggest thing, you know, to speak to that, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, there's one solution or there's one answer, but I think the biggest thing that we can do is talk about it and talk about these things from an early age that it's okay Mm -hmm. that there's not this like shame and fear that if like we have problems that we're like messed up or that we have issues and that like we can't talk about it and we just shame other people for it. I think there's just so much 
disgusting shame around like, oh, I have, you know, oh, I'm struggling or oh, I'm not. And I still catch myself like trying to put on this like perfect, everything's great in my life, like facade sometimes. And I realize like, I don't have to do that, like to earn like love Mm -hmm. and acceptance and, you know, whatever, like from the world, I think we learn that we we have to live up to some sort of standard, right? Or we have to mm-hmm. act a certain way to earn significance and earn love and all of those things. And the big thing for me that was a shift was, yeah, not looking to the world to, you know, tell me like who, who I was, like identity. Mm-hmm. Like my identity doesn't lie in the world. My identity, I'm not, like I truly believe I'm a spiritual being. <laughs> so some people may have different beliefs around that, but I'm like a spiritual being. Like I am so above all, like all, you know, everything of the world that, um, but that took a long time to get there. Right. It wasn't like, Oh, mm-hmm. I just knew that one day and it all came together. Like it took a long time and, you know, faith has been a huge thing in helping me see that. So I think, yeah, just not living by the world standards and living by um, standards that are your own. Right. I think Mm -hmm. that's where a lot of unhappiness lies is that we, we take other people's values and make them our own. And then Mm -hmm. it doesn't work for us. And we feel this like emptiness inside and like this pain inside And Like that can be, mean so many things, right? Like going into a career or doing a certain thing or acting a certain way because you feel like that's, what's going to get you love and acceptance and love and acceptance is what everyone's and significance is like what everyone is internally searching for, whether they're really know it or not. Yeah. And I guess I would tack on just a couple more things. I think that one of the, um, so I am, I'm a practicing Buddhist now. And one of the things that has really alleviated my battle with depression is gaining control of the mind. Mm. And so it's something that I think is changing in our society that people are really understanding that like we are not our thoughts. Yes. And and depression is is a downward spiral of believing you're your thoughts. Mm. And what people sometimes if you're not being mindful of your thoughts, you start to associate um, the same sort of response you would if you were out in the jungle and you were starting to feel fear and um, like scared, you know, all of your enzymes and every um, chemical start to sort of turn on like an engine. And and when you're feeling like, like you're about that, you want to die, like physically Mm. want to die, all of these physical reactions are happening in, in you because your mind is perceiving it's happening. And I'm, I, I'm saying this not as this is a cure all. I just want people Mm -hmm. to be notice that their thoughts are also if you can master your mind and and understand that you don't have to follow every thought that happens that is one way to start managing when you do feel those thoughts and then the second thing that you said was with around the shame and the feelings and not being able to be transparent i think as we get better as a global culture mm-hmm. in shining a light on these conversations, then people can be not ashamed and not feel um, like they can't have their discussion and all discussions about what's going on because to hold space for another human being, whether they're sad or angry or they've just gotten out of a, a relationship or they're confused about their life, as human beings, it's 
it's our responsibility to hold space for people as much as we can in our little ecosystems. Mm -hmm. So I think as we get better holding space for each other in every single way, not just when somebody's depressed, then we get to progress as a culture in a way that is more loving and empathetic and compassionate and kind so that people, when they are in those dark moments, they feel like their vulnerability can be seen and heard. And that's where we need to get to as, as, a, as a culture. Yes, 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 yes. 100%. Where let's make this like this is the mission. <laughs> this is the goal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, so yeah, we're part of the Avengers of this team of trying to do that. Yeah, like, yeah, I love that. Percent. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I told I couldn't agree with you more. Like spot on. I literally have nothing to add to that because that <laughs> is literally perfect. And yeah, so I want to talk a little bit. I know we talked a little bit about like how how can we make a more like safe space for people and how can we make more space for people to you know feel like you know it's okay to have these problems and get even the help that they need right mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. reach out um i think you mentioned also um like what that experience was like for your family and like kind of the recovery of it all because i know you mentioned that um you said that you were like trying to make sense of everything yeah, I and I um, to answer the first part of your question is the way we get better at holding space for people is we start by holding space for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So whenever you have your own emotions and your own triggers come up, you be brave and you face it and you sit with it and you love yourself through it. Mm -hmm. And then as you love yourself and heal yourself through compassionate interactions with yourself, then you have, you've now built up your compassion reserve in order for you to, if like you came to me tomorrow, Jeanette, and I hadn't talked to you and you were crying and you were like, I don't know what I'm going to do about this, that, and the other. And if I'm in a good place where I've dealt with my own emotions and I have space mm. to give you a, a, a moment to just freak out, <laughs> yeah. then in doing our own work, we're able to help other people do their own. So it's important to take a lot of personal responsibility in your own emotional reactions to life so that you build up your own resilience and your own reserves so that you can hold space for others. And as far as the recovery piece of it, it's, it's important, I think, in our culture now, in modern culture, there's two things that are happening that are getting in the way of us um, dealing with loss. And it's one that people want instant gratification in the sense that they want to be over it and through it. And two, that we're not, um, that death is not, is not really final, even though it's a final act. Death, mm -hmm. when you experience death by suicide or even by any other illness or unexpected tragedy, the, the, the piece of your heart that carries that person with you is there until you're not on this earth either. So we have to get away from this idea that recovery and that our ability to overcome the loss of somebody will somewhere be a final destination. It's, it's for the rest of your life. And I don't say that to like scare people or to like make people feel like I'm always going to feel this way. No, what it's the exact opposite is I'm telling you it's okay to love and miss that person for the rest of your life. That's okay. And to not the instant gratification piece of it is 
do not rush your own grief when you've lost somebody by suicide or by any other means. It's grief is something that is so multi-dimensional and it can come up at any moment in any situation. And you just have to be a vessel for it so that you can move those feelings through you. Because I'll be in the grocery store or a, a song will come on and I will just lose it. I miss Miguel so much. He had this infectious laugh that I wish every day I could hear and I can't hear it. But when those things come up, you let them rise and you be with them because in a sense to me, and maybe I'm overly optimistic in a moment, it's like, he's there with me. Like he's remembering us as well. And that's, I think beautiful. And that's what makes having someone's life been being taken away there is still some sweetness in the fact that you get to remember them when you feel those emotions and it's not bad Mm. oh yeah that makes a lot of sense And, and I think that totally speaks to your first point you just made it's like not rushing and feeling those emotions as they come right like letting the emotions come through you and not like not like oh why are these here because I think emotions yeah they're supposed to be there they're saying hey pay attention to me like this is Mm -hmm. something you need to move through and you need to move past and it's like facing it doing our own inner work because that's part of it and not Mm -hmm. looking at it as like this negative terrible thing because some of those emotions aren't going to be joy extreme happiness yeah and i think it's important that in in understanding your emotions that your the good ones go away as well too but we're so less resistant to fighting the the you know the disintegration of a happy emotion than we are a sad one when a sad one or a hard emotion comes through we we resist it like it's you know, like we, we'd run for the hills before we deal with something that's bothering us, right? Mm-hmm. But when there's a euphoric emotion that we feel, we love it and we're there with it and we just feel so on top of the world and we almost don't even notice when it's gone, you know? We don't, we're not holding on to it, like, please don't leave me, don't leave me. We know it's going to come back and it's the same thing with those emotions that are hard to deal with, you know? They're hard when they come, but they also leave in the same way that they've come very quickly. If, if you allow yourself to, 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 to just go with the flow of what's happening in that moment, you know? Mm, that's so awesome. And that speaks to so many things. And one thing is that, um, do you watch This Is Us? I no, I might be the only person on earth that doesn't watch that show. <laughs> I have not watched it at all until literally this month and my boyfriend got me hooked on it. And now I, sometimes I'm like, I can't watch it because it's literally just like getting your feels all day, literally. And I love that. yeah, I know. I'm like, okay, I need to turn <laughs> on my emotions a little more. Let's watch the episode. And one of the episodes, um, they say it's like life is going to give you, you know, even when life gives you the most rottenness lemonade, you can still, you know, if you can take what it, that, those rotten lemons, I'm sorry, the rotten lemons, and you can make <laughs> something that resembles lemonade, you've still won. And yeah, I think that just reminded me so much of what you're saying, like when you're 
having those moments and remembering Miguel and, you know, wanting to cry. It's like, those aren't, you don't have to think of those as so dark things. It can be such a, a beautiful mm-hmm. experience. And it's part of like the human experience. It is. And it's, there's a lesson in everything we experience over and over again. And as a Buddhist, for me, there's a lot of lessons in attachment there for me, mm-hmm. you know, and also a lot of compassion because even when I get the sweetness of remembering him, there might be some sourness of the regret. And you know what that's teaching me? That's teaching me that I have to have a little more compassion with myself. And it means that I, I still have work to do, you know, and, and thank you, Miguel, for bringing me that lesson in that day, you know, like that's how I see it. Wow. And that's a, that's a very strong place to be at. Like yeah, most people aren't yeah. at that place, especially when, such tragic things have, you know, happened in their lives. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not without its own trials for sure. I mean, it's a, like I said, it's an ongoing process, but yeah. I'm definitely a very optimistic person. And, and I, I wholeheartedly believe that if you have an outlook of optimism and not just fake, like, oh, I'm so positive or whatever, but if you truly believe that everything in life is working for your best interest and nothing that happens to you is not, is will ever be anything you can't endure or learn from. And, and that's a great place to position yourself at any moment in your life. Yes. That's amazing. And that's so true. It's not seeing, it's always seeing like the good and the bad of everything. Cause there is good and the bad in everything. Yeah. And it's a spectrum. It's not, there's so much gray. It's not just, just one or the other. Yeah, so true. Well, I think that, you know, I think we've touched on so many amazing topics and you shared so much with us. Um, Before we, you know, end the podcast, is there any other words that you'd like to share about your experience or what people can take away and learn? Yeah, there's just really two things that I want to hit on. Is one of the things that um, has really become a resonating gong in my life is, is having faith in yourself. Mm -hmm. And I know that I've met with enough people who've been depressed, who don't have religion or don't have a good secure family unit or Mm -hmm. um, don't have tight friendships, you know, and they do really feel alone in this world, you know, Mm -hmm. that part of having faith has nothing to do with God. Part of having faith has to do with your own faith in that you're here living in this moment for some greater purpose that you don't even have to understand. And that if you have air in your lungs and sight to see that you matter. Mm -hmm. And so even if you're in the depths of depression for anyone out there listening and really struggling to say, can I make it until tomorrow? I'm here to say, yes, you can, because you're here for a reason and maybe you're the depths and darkness of your depression and your suicide ideations mean that you get to help somebody else that might be feeling that same way. And you're the only other person on this earth that can empathize with somebody going through that. And so you've got to reach out your hand for help and to help someone else in that moment. If you can, the second thing I wanted to say is that it's important for me to stress for people who have, who are, who have, are interacting with people who have dealt with suicide is mm-hmm. two things is 
suicide is 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 a death like any other and sometimes people can become very dismissive when you tell them that you've lost somebody by suicide like if since it's since they perceive it as a choice Mm. the the weight and severity of the loss and the life is diminished because they left on their own but I'm here to tell you that doesn't it actually makes it feel worse at times you know anytime anyone dies it's very tragic and the second piece of that is that I know there's a lot of work around us changing the language we use so instead of even saying that somebody committed suicide you just reference it as they've they've passed on or they've passed away Mm. because then suicide becomes a qualifier right Mm. and it becomes an a sort of like a an asterisk to their life whereas like that's not the point it's not the point how they died the point is they're not here and they've left us and we need to surround whoever is feeling the loss of that person's life with a lot of love a lot of compassion a lot of kindness and a lot of empathy because you know even though death is part of life it's still hard and we just need to do better as a culture i think oh my gosh that is like i think you touched on something that's so important that no i feel like no one talks about is the hit on suicide and it's like oh like literally you just hit the nail on the head on saying like Oh, okay, because they committed suicide, then it, we're going to treat this differently. And we're not going to think about, you don't think about it the same almost. It's like you're only mm-hmm. paying attention to the suicide other than like the person's life that was lost and is gone right. now. And like all the people who are in pain around it, it's so interesting and such a good, um, good lesson for everyone, including myself and definitely like such a good takeaway like that's so 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 important and changing the language that we use um like we see that in so many other places right when we're like not diagnosing people and calling them like Mm -hmm. by what they're you know what they're experiencing whether it's a mental illness or emotional or whatever I think that's you just hit something so important yeah yeah Kimberly said that on my podcast interview too about people with mental illness like even if somebody is given a diagnosis of schizophrenia or bipolar or, or, you know, mood disorder, that's just the label that's been applied to them institutionally, but how they are experiencing life is what matters. And it's the same thing with death is like, it doesn't matter how the death is labeled. It's how it's the after effects of that life being lost on the people around them like we're like I said in the beginning we're all still trying to navigate these two deaths in my family and we're still picking up the pieces and not a day goes by that we don't miss Miguel and Jaron and think about them and how do you quantify that and and why would you even want to dismiss it because of the modality in which their life was taken it's just not it's not fair and it's not it's not um appropriate I don't think yeah, I totally understand that. And I totally agree. And I definitely want to ask you um, if you had like a few words to say to people who are like thinking about suicide, but haven't, you know, they're not really considering the effects. Could you speak to that? Yeah. So I myself had two suicidal ideation moments that were pretty dark and deep. 
And so I know what it's like to say things to yourself, like it would be better if I was gone or say things to yourself, like I've caused way too much damage here now that everyone around me is better off with me not being in this world, in this world. If I left today, I know what the weight of those two statements can feel like. And I want whomever is struggling with similar feelings to that, or just feeling like they don't want to live anymore is I can tell you if you were to plot your life on a chart to examine all of your good emotions, all of the highs you've had on your life, all of the happiness you felt, all of the wins you've had in your life truly would outnumber your bad days. Any human being this is true of. And so you have to go and examine your own life and collect all of the really beautiful and good pieces of your life and you hold on to them for that night of darkness, that dark night of the soul that you're in in that moment when you feel like you cannot, cannot make it until tomorrow. And I can tell you that the, the pain you feel now outweighs the pain that is felt when your life is gone around the people around you. One life then lost affects hundreds. In my family alone, with my brother and my nephew, you know, there's eight of my siblings. I have 22 nephews and nieces and two great nieces. That's at least 30 people's lives who are completely devastated by the loss of two lives. It's not worth it. And find the support, call somebody, DM me, DM Jeanette, like you're not alone and you matter. And if you, if God, or if you don't even believe in God, whatever you believe in, something felt it was necessary for you to come and be on this earth and partake in the community of humanity. And if nothing else, just remember that, remember that you're here and you don't have to know your purpose. You just have to know that you're meant to be here. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think that is going to hopefully people listening who are experiencing, you know, um, suicidal thoughts or um, thinking about taking their own life definitely can get the message out of this and be inspired and empowered by it. And we'll also share share some resources at the end of the episode for anyone. Um, So that way you can. There's lots and lots of resources. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, thank you so much again for coming on and sharing your story and your journey and all those painful emotions with us and just really opening your heart because I can only imagine, you know, what that's like talking about it, especially so openly to so many people. So I just thank you so much. It really is going to change so many people's lives. Well, thank you for having me. I definitely have not ever shared the story um, to even a wide audience or even a small family audience outside of my, or not a, I haven't really talked about this outside of my family. So thank you for letting me tell my story and I hope that it helps. And I'm really grateful that you held space for me today and I adore everything you're doing. And I think you're doing some really critical work in this space and without people like you there, there wouldn't be resources. So make sure you give yourself a big pat on the back today. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. And so honored to have you. And if you guys want to connect with Krista, 
Um, she's on Instagram at I A N W podcast. And then make sure you check out our podcast at I Am Awake Now. Now, what podcast on iTunes? Um, and is there any other way they can people can connect with you that I'm leaving out? <laughs> No, I mean, they can find the podcast on Instagram. There, There's Facebook. I mean, essentially, if you look up Krista Ziomara, which is Ziomara spelled X-I-O-M-A-R-A, um, the podcast and the Instagram and the Facebook pages come up and you can reach out to me and let me know if you have any questions or if you just want to talk about stuff. I'm definitely always here to listen and support and, and cheer everyone on in their life. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on today. Yeah. Thanks, Jeanette. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye.